looking at the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, what does that mean for our life uh, here today at uni in Bendigo? And I just want to ask the question to start with. When you hear that passage read, uh, that little narrative, that little snapshot into Jesus' life, how do you react to that? How do you react to Jesus coming into the temple and then cracking a whip, turning over tables? I mean, I thought about doing it, but most of the tables are kind of like fixed, so it's a bit hopeless. You know, you do that. It's just going to be quite hard to effect. I could throw that table over. How do you react when you hear that Jesus has his voice raised, his arms tense, and he's driving people physically out of the temple? So you kind of normal picture of Jesus. I mean, I think for most of us, most Aussies, I think, as I chat to people around here at uni and I ask them, who do you think Jesus is? What do you think Jesus is like? A lot of people, I think, go with this sort of a picture of Jesus. There's Jesus. He's kind of a nice guy. He's, a, he's palatable. He's sitting around on a nice grassy hill and he's just kind of teaching people to be nice because it's nice to be nice, right? And that's kind of a comfortable version of Jesus. I think a lot of us uh, like the idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, turn the other cheek kind of Jesus. In fact, I think a lot of us have kind of put Jesus into what I call the Gandhi box. You know Gandhi? Gandhi's kind of this cool guy who says wise stuff, and everyone likes him, right? Because he never really says anything that's going to change you and make make you have to change your life. I uh, did a little bit of research, you know, some Gandhi quotes. Those are just some of the cool things that Gandhi says. An eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind. Isn't that nice? You kind of hear that and you go, oh, so wise. That's great. Or, in a gentle way, you can shake the whole world. You know, you kind of hear those quotes and you go, what a nice guy. Yeah, you know, that's good advice, right? But I think the thing is, if we put Gandhi and Jesus in the same box, they were actually doing a disservice to Jesus. See, have a look at this passage that we've got right in front of us. Jesus isn't like Gandhi, friends. Jesus isn't like some guy who just gives nice, inspirational kind of wisdom and we can take it or leave it. No, have a look at Jesus here in John chapter 2. When Jesus comes into the temple, does Jesus act like Gandhi? Does Jesus kind of sit back and go, hmm, what if I can say something wise? He does something completely different, doesn't he? He actually walks in there, he sees what's going on, he sees that God's house is being dishonoured, and so what does he do in verse 15? He sits down and he plats a whip. Did you notice that? He sits down and he plats a whip. He gets some cords of leather and he plats them into a whip. It would have taken a little while. Why do you think John's included that detail in the text? I think he's included it because John wants to teach us that this isn't Jesus just having a brain snap. This isn't him just having some sort of fly-off-the-handle anger moment like we have occasionally. No, this is Jesus very much in control of his emotions. Uh, He acts a little bit like Chuck Norris on a rampage, but he is very much in control of what he's doing. He plats a whip. 
he sits down and then with that whip, he stands up and he drives the people out of there. Jesus takes control. Jesus takes action. And do you notice that in verse 17, the disciples see it, right? The disciples see what Jesus does and what do they do? They go, we've read about this. They turn to each other and go, hey, do you remember in the Old Testament, Psalm 69? We've read about this guy. We've read about when God's Messiah, when God's King will come. It was written there, verse 17, you see, zeal for the Lord's house will consume him. When God's anointed, when God's rescuing King comes, he will have a passion. He'll be driven in order that God be honoured truly. For God to be honoured exclusively in the lives of the people he meets. Friends, what I want to say tonight is that when we read the Bible, we meet the true Jesus. Uh, Our world, even some of our uni lecturers I've heard here at this campus, we want to make Jesus out to be more like God. They'll say that he's just a nice guy and you can kind of take it or leave it. But I want to show you tonight that when you open up God's Word, the Bible, and you meet the real Jesus, we see a Jesus who is driven, who takes action, and he wants he wants your undistracted obedience to God. That's what he's going for in this passage. He wants your undistracted obedience. He wants you to live for God. I've titled tonight's talk, A New Way. A new way. But the reason I've done that is because I would kind of guess that there might be some of us here in this room that maybe when we look back on last year, uh, there could be some disappointments, could be some hurts, could be some things that, if we could do it all over again, would like to change it. And so sometimes, you know, and this is me occasionally, comes to a new year stuff. I know we're in March now, but it still kind of feels like a new year, right? And we make these things called New Year's resolutions. My New Year's resolutions are often things like, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to get healthy. Uh, Maybe for you, it's you're going to turn up to class more. Uh, You're going to do your set readings. You heard of those things, set readings, yeah. Maybe you're going to be more committed to something. Maybe you're going to spend less time on Facebook and more with people face-to-face, whatever it is. We kind of make these decisions. We go, that's my new way. And we say to ourselves, if I can just do that, then my life will be better. Friends, I want to say that that new way that we're actually searching for, that new way that's actually going to change our lives and give us true joy, the thing that we're actually searching for, that new way is actually revealed to us right here in this passage tonight. It's revealed to us in what Jesus is deeply passionate about, that you and I, would live lives of undistracted obedience to God, the God who made us. Now this passage, when we look at it, and we're going to look at it closely, it falls into two main sections. The first section is about Jesus clearing away the distractions. Then the second, the second section is all about Jesus showing us why he has the authority to do that. So have a look there, verse 13. In verse 13, it's important for us to set the scene. In verse 13, we see that it's the time of the Passover. John includes that detail for a very important reason. The Passover, you might remember, was an annual event 
whereby God's people would go to the temple in Jerusalem and they were to reenact the very first Passover. They were to bring a sacrifice that would remind them of the first Passover that happened all those years ago with Moses. If you know the story of the first Passover, perhaps you've watched Prince of Egypt or something like that, perhaps you've read it in Exodus chapter 12. The first Passover, what was it about? The first Passover was all about how God rescued his people out of slavery to sin and death, and he saved them by the blood of the Lamb. You might remember the first Passover. God said back then that on one particular night, in one particular time, he was going to send his plague of righteous judgment for sin. Sin was going to be visited on that night, and every person would be affected in some way. And God said the only way that you could be saved from that coming destruction was if you sheltered under the blood of a lamb. God said there is one provision, there is one way to escape that judgment. It was if you would kill a lamb, you would paint the doorpost of your house with blood and you would shelter under it. In effect, the life of the lamb was the substitute for the people. And on that day, everyone who took shelter under the blood of the Lamb was saved. They were rescued. The judgment passed over them and they were not touched. They were rescued. That was Passover. Passover was actually designed to draw people into worship of God. See, every year, every year since that very first Passover, the Israelites, God's people, were commanded to reenact Passover, to go back to Jerusalem. And that's what's happening here in John chapter 2. They were to travel from wherever they lived to go to Jerusalem and to bring a sacrifice before God in order that they would remember the first Passover, in order that they would remember that their God had provided a substitute and that they would rejoice in that, but also to remember the horribleness of sin the costliness of sin, that because of their sin, a death would have to occur. That was Passover. Passover was meant to draw people in. It was meant to help them remember the great things that God had done. And Jesus comes here at this Passover in John chapter 2. Jesus comes in to the temple and what does he see? Does he see people coming and confessing their sin? Does he see people praising God for his great rescue of them? No. He sees none of that, right? There's no one weeping over sin. There's no one rejoicing in thankfulness. No, instead, Jesus sees a market. He sees people who are selling animals and changing currency and they are right in the very middle of the temple. There's just so much distraction going on. The point of the Passover was that people were to come in and be caught up in who God is and what he's done. So just imagine the scene for a moment. Imagine that you're a first century Israelite. You come in to offer your sacrifice, you bring your animal. The animal is to be killed. You are to be caught up in the emotion of that. 
But as soon as that's starting to happen, you hear people calling out different things. Get your money over here or get your lamb, get your pigeon over here. There's just so much distraction going on. You can't concentrate. No one is being drawn into worship of God. It would be a little bit like, I think, for us, if we went to church on a Sunday and we're trying to listen to a sermon or something being said from up the front and someone's walking up and down the aisle going, hot dogs, get your hot dogs, $4 for a hot dog. You just couldn't listen. There is too much distraction going on. It's turned into a market. The place of worship, the place where people would come to, to worship their God. There is no focus on God. The temple was not working. In fact, it's not actually that the money changing was wrong. It's not even that the the animal selling was wrong. Those things were actually good things. People who travel from a long way probably would have had to change their currency. People who travel from a long way would have needed to purchase an animal to sacrifice. Those things weren't wrong. Do you see the problem? The problem was that those things, those good things, had actually come right into the very centre and they were taking people away from worship of God. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus drives them out. Jesus gets rid of them. Do you see what Jesus is passionate about here? Jesus is passionate about people's undivided focus on God. Jesus is passionate about people coming to God and living for him and having no distractions from that. So can I ask you, how's your focus going on God at the moment? It's week two of uni. There's new things happening. Uh, There's new classes, there's new friends, new assignments. There's a whole lot of new stuff going on. What is it that's trying to grab your attention? What is it that could be drawing you away from God? If I was to answer that question, I'd have to say that I get distracted. My focus wanders. Do you know why that happens? It actually happens because I start to believe that things that aren't God can satisfy me, can bring me joy. I often get distracted by good things. Good things become ultimate things. But I can take my eye off God. I can be distracted by sin. I can get entangled in that. I can fall into the trap of thinking that there is joy to be found in sin. Over the next couple of weeks, as we work through these passages in John's Gospel, we're actually going to be seeing uh, some different topics we're going to be looking at where we find true love. We're going to be looking at where we find true satisfaction, true freedom, true comfort. We'll be looking at those things in, in detail. But tonight I want to ask the question, what's distracting you? What is it that might be in your life that's taking your eyes off following God? Jesus is passionate, do you see, for you to come to God, for you to be with him. In fact, as we keep reading, we actually see just how committed Jesus is to that cause. So if we look there in verses 18 to 21. In verses 18 to 21, uh, we see a conversation between Jesus and the Jews. See the conversation there? The Jews, right, the Jews have just observed what Jesus has done. They've seen Jesus' passion. And they see him turning over the tables 
They see him driving people out with a whip. And so they come to him in verse 18. And they say, Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, they're saying, Jesus, what right do you have for turning over the tables? And in verse 19, do you see Jesus' answer? Jesus answers them. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the disciples are like, what? What is that? What does he mean? What are you talking about, Jesus? It took 46 years, they say, to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? And Jesus goes, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise the temple. Not the physical temple, it's there right in front of me. But the real temple, my body, he says, is what I'm going to raise. See, do you see what Jesus is talking about? It's a bit cryptic. What Jesus is saying is he says, I'm going to completely flip the tables on how you come to God. You've been coming to this temple. You've been trying to access God through this physical place. You've been coming there to get to God, but can you see it's not working? There's distractions, there's divided loyalties, there's sin. Jesus says, it's not pure. It's unacceptable. What you need, Jesus says, is a new temple. You need a a new way to God that's not dependent on what you bring. And Jesus says, that way, that new temple, that's me. It's my body. Because I am the one who has never taken my eyes off living for God. I am the one, Jesus says, who has no sin. I have never been distracted. I am the one, who, the only one, who has the right to go to God, to enter into his presence. And here's where Jesus really flips the tables. Jesus says, I'm going to give all that up for you. I'm going to give it up for you. I'm going to let my life be destroyed, Jesus says. I'm going to be shut out from God so that you can go. Do you know, when Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain, the curtain that used to divide sinful people from the holy God, when Jesus died on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. It was as if God himself was kind of reaching down from heaven and saying, because of my son's death, sinful people can now come in. You can have access to me. You can come in to God because Jesus has made a way. We can approach freely. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, we read this. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, Jesus' body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Friends, let me finish by saying two things. Firstly, if you're here tonight and you're checking Jesus out, if you're not a Christian yet, can I ask you, can you see the kind of person who Jesus is? Can you see what Jesus is deeply passionate about? 
He's not like Gandhi, is he? He's not just saying nice, wise things. No, if what Jesus says is true, then it means he's our only hope in this life and the next. Jesus is making a radical claim about himself by saying, I am the temple. He's saying that if you want to be with God, if you want to be in a right relationship with God, you need to come to God through him, through his death, through his resurrection. Jesus will say that much clearer, less cryptically later on in John's Gospel. In John chapter 14, he says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you come to him? Like the Israelites at Passover, have you beheld the sacrifice? Have you seen what your sin costs? But have you seen how much your God loves you, that he would die for you. That Jesus, in his great passion, gave up everything for you. For those of us who are Christians here in this room, can I ask you, can you see what drives Jesus? Do you see what he lives for? He lives with a burning passion that you and me be giving God our exclusive obedience. He lives that we would not be distracted from living for God. Jesus is committed to this. And he wants it for us because it's for our good. So my question for you is this. Where would Jesus crack the whip in your life? Seriously. What is it that he would want to drive out? Could be a good thing that's become an ultimate thing. It could be a sin that is taking your eyes off God. What is it that he wants to drive out? What is it that's crept into your life? I hope you're hearing what I'm saying here tonight. Jesus is deeply passionate about you coming to God, about you having a deep, intimate relationship with God. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to be caught up in a joyful relationship like we saw last week. He wants you to confess your sin. He wants you to abound in thankfulness for salvation and the hope of heaven that we have. And I want to say that in order for that to happen, we need to get rid of the distractions. And we need to make sure that we are meeting God personally. We need to make sure we are going to him and meeting him in his word, the Bible, and in prayer. Some people call these things quiet times. Some people call them devotions or God times. doesn't matter what you call them. What we've seen here tonight is that we can freely go to God through Christ. Jesus has made a way. How's that time going for you? Are you spending time with him, or are there just too many distractions? Let me just suggest one way, one particular app, actually, that you can get on your phone. This is a really practical application at the end. It's called Stand Firm. Stand Firm is a Bible reading and prayer app that you can get on your phone. It's specifically written for Australian university students. And it gives you a passage to read of the Bible. It gives you questions to ponder. It gives you prayer points. It gives you the big idea of what God's saying in that passage. 
It's actually brilliant. If you're not currently reading your Bible, if you're not currently meeting with God in his word, let me encourage you to grab something like that, stand firm. It's free. It works for iPhones, it works for Androids. It's, it's, it's great. When you wake up in the morning, don't click on Facebook. Click on stand firm. Get rid of the distractions. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we, we want to say that we're sorry for the times when, when we've been distracted, when we've take, taken our eyes off you. We see here in this passage that Jesus' great passion is that we would come to you, that we would be with you. Father, I pray that you would show us what these things are that are distracting us, that are taking our eyes off our great God. Father, we thank you that Jesus, in his passion, went to the cross in order that we may be yours and yours alone. Praise in his name. Amen.